you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. the presence of the Lord in the house today. Hallelujah. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you so much for being in the house of the Lord tonight, this Wednesday evening, to open the word of the Lord and study the word of the Lord together. I started a lesson series last Wednesday night and began dealing with um, a very tough subject, as a matter of fact, and we got about halfway or maybe better than halfway through the Bible study last Wednesday night. And as promised, I told you I would pick up where I left off and we will continue with this Bible study tonight. And uh, of course, I will be cognitive of the time. We have a baptism that is going to take place tonight. And we are thankful and very excited about that. Amen. We appreciate each of you being here tonight to our guests that I see in the house on a Wednesday night. It's the right place, the right time. We're glad you're here. Amen. Tonight we're going to pick up with a subject that I started last Wednesday. And uh, I will not be able to recap everything that I taught last week. And so if you were not here uh, last week and are interested in the subject matter and to hear the early part, the part one of this series, uh, it will be available on our podcast. And so uh, join the podcast and look up last Wednesday night. And the subject matter is a biblical perspective on tongues and salvation. Uh, uh, very difficult subject and for many a hot topic to discuss and I attempt to answer some answer some questions last Wednesday night and uh, we went into the Word of God uh, to discover what the Bible says not what people say but what the Bible says about tongues about speaking with other tongues and how it is connected or related to salvation. So tonight we pick up with part two, and I want to begin uh, this lesson tonight by some prefacing remarks regarding the importance of us being a church that is based on truth. 
Every life should be seeking to base your walk with God on truth. Somebody ought to say amen to that. Truth is important. Tradition is wonderful. The older I get, the more I love tradition. But tradition does not trump truth. Truth must always prevail. And the Bible, this is our handbook. This is our guideline. This is where we go to to find direction. And our teaching and preaching, if it is with enticing words of man's wisdom, it doesn't amount to much. But if our teaching and our preaching is based on the Word of God, founded in the Word of God, not left to a single interpretation, the Scripture says no Scripture is given by private interpretation, but there should be a conglomerate of Scripture that works together and is woven together to reveal the deep truths of Scripture. If the Bible is taken, taken out of context, many people can be led astray by many strange beliefs and strange doctrines, but taking a Scripture and reading it and standing on one scripture or one portion of a scripture, particularly when it is taken out of context and not woven into the fabric of what the Word of God is saying on that specific subject. When Jesus was on earth, Jesus himself had much to say about the importance of truth. He quoted from 24 of the 39 Old Testament books, Jesus himself reaffirming the principles of the law and the precepts that were laid out in the law. He gave 46 parables. Jesus gave 46 parables, incredible illustrations that teach what it means to serve the Lord. He taught challenging concepts like love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to those that hate you, and pray for those that despitefully use you, according to Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Jesus taught some things that were counter to culture. They are counter to normal human emotion. Um, until we learn discipline. We have a tendency to hurt those who hurt us. To want to fight against those who want to fight against us. Jesus comes with a whole new, whole new concept. He taught these challenging concepts that go against human nature. And his words, the words of Jesus, were so incredibly powerful. Jesus was a great instructor of truth. As a matter of fact, Jesus was the embodiment of truth. He was truth. In him was no shadow of turning. Truth has always mattered to God. And so he gave us truth. When people say, what is 
truth. And how do we know what truth is? I begin tonight by turning your attention to the book of John, the 17th chapter. And I'm going to read three verses here, verses 17, 18, and 19. Sister Shauna, curveball coming at you. John chapter 17, verse 17, 18, and 19. And then I will get into the normal flow, Sister Shauna, of the text that I had provided last week. But I want to start with John 17 because we're talking now about how do we know what truth is. How do we know how to discover truth? How do we find what truth is? How many of you want truth in your life? I believe you're here on this Wednesday night. As a matter of fact, I'm very impressed with you tonight. This is an incredible crowd on a Wednesday night in the middle of COVID. Give yourself a great big hand. Thank you for being here. I believe you care about truth. So what is truth and how do we know what truth is? And how does truth fit into the grand scheme of things? John 17, verse 17, sanctify them. How are they sanctified? Through thy truth. Well, okay, what is truth? Thy word is truth. We are sanctified through truth. All sanctification, what makes you a Christian, is more than just saying, I believe in God and I'm a Christian, does not make you a Christian. But your sanctification is through truth. And the Word of God, thy Word, O Lord, David declares, I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So if we want to live a Christian life, then we must understand how do we find truth and get truth on the inward part. How do we take truth in? Thy word, the word of the Lord, is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, John says, even so have I also sent them into the world. Talking about his own disciples. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself. Look back at verse 17. How does sanctification come? Through truth. What is truth? The Word of God. John now, after sending his disciples out, says, even for their sake, I sanctify myself. Meaning, John is saying, I take this Word, this truth, and I adapt it to my life. So serving God and living for God is more than just saying, I believe in God, I'm a Christian, but it is taking the Word of God, His truth, and making it part of who we are and living according to this truth. We must desire this truth on the inward parts. Verse 19, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified how? Through truth. The only thing that is going to sanctify you, what makes you a saint? Sanctification comes through truth. We need truth. We all need truth. And so we have been studying, of course, on tongues and salvation. And we need truth about tongues and salvation. We don't need people's ideas. 
We don't need what society says about it. We want to know what the Bible, what the Word of God says about some of these subjects that are so incredibly powerful and yet perhaps some of them very difficult. So last week we began to look on what into the depth of what is the evidence of the Holy Ghost. And we talked about the initial evidence of the Holy Ghost. And we talked about experiences, how each person, all of us, have our own individualized experiences, but there is only one sign or signification that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence and dwells within us. Because every time in Scripture that we find where someone received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and remember the word, the language, baptism, infilling, all of these interchanging words, depending on the translator. The translator biased would use one term over another, Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, all one and the same. So Holy Spirit, baptism, Holy Spirit, infilling, Holy Spirit indwelling, all speaking of the same experience. And so the initial sign, what we see every time in Scripture, where someone received the infilling of the Holy Spirit, they all had the same sign. Different experiences, but the same sign. So there are many different experiences, same sign. Acts chapter 10, we looked at last night. We, we looked at last week. And we went deep into the idea of the number of times in Scripture that tongue or tongues were used. More than 27 times the idea of speaking with tongues is used in the New Testament. We asked questions and answered them with Scripture. And we looked deeply into the promise of the Holy Ghost. And we looked at the first initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts when Jesus ascended upon high and after he had resurrected from the grave, he ascends, he tells his followers, go and wait in Jerusalem until you be filled with power from on high. Now imagine you or I receiving such an announcement, go wait in the city of Jerusalem until you be filled with power from on high. They didn't know what this power was. They didn't know what they were going to be filled with. All they knew was that Jesus had commanded them to go and wait for it to come. They go to the upper room in Jerusalem, about 120 of them, and there they tarried, they waited. A prayer meeting, we say. They tarried or they waited together. Acts chapter 2 gives us keen insight on what happened there. They were all in one place. They were all in one mind and one accord. Meaning their motives and agenda, everything that they were doing, their thoughts, everything was together on one thing. That was this promise 
that Jesus had spoken about that they were going to be filled or they were going to be endued with power from on high. They didn't really know what it was going to look like, feel like, sound like. They knew nothing about it because Jesus never told them how it was going to happen. Now we can go back and look when Jesus talked to Nicodemus. We can go back and try to try to look and find ways that he was given some insight into what was going to happen. So now we see that they gather in the upper room in Jerusalem. After 10 days, the Holy Spirit fell. The scripture said they were in one mind and one accord and suddenly there came a sound. Everybody say sound. Every time the Holy Spirit comes, there will always be a sound. There came a sound from heaven. And the sound that came from heaven was as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. Can I pause for a moment and tell you that when the Holy Ghost comes, before the individuals were filled, first the house was filled. This is why it's very important that the church, everybody say the church, that the church ought to be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. Our services ought to be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. The house ought to be filled. Our worship ought to, it, it, tonight I sensed and felt the power of the Holy Ghost. As I am here teaching this lesson right now, I sense and feel the power of the Holy Ghost. And so the Holy Ghost filled the room, filled the house where they were sitting. And then there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That means not as man has taught them, but as the Spirit has given them utterance. This was the first outpouring of the Holy Ghost. They spoke with other tongues. People marveled. Nobody had ever heard anyone speak with tongues before. This was the first time this experience had ever happened. And so people began to question. Some began to doubt. Some began to mock. Some began to ask questions. So Peter, standing up with the other eleven, began to tell them, these are not drunk as ye had supposed. This isn't just babble. This isn't some drunken stupor that these people are in. But this is what the prophet Joel had prophesied about. And so the apostle Peter begins to preach to them. And in his preaching, there was a moment of conviction or of recollection or understanding when they asked the question, what must we do to be saved? Can I digress for just a moment? The preaching of the Word of God ought to never just be about entertainment. It ought to not be about enjoyment. 
It ought to not be about the subject that I enjoy hearing. It ought to cause men to say, what must I do to be saved? Because how can we be saved without a preacher? We need the preached word of God. And the preached word of God ought to lead men to say, what must I do? And so they ask, what must I do? And so Peter begins to tell them in Acts chapter 2, in verse number 38, he begins to tell them, repent. That's the first thing you've got to do. The first thing is repentance. It is a turning away. It is a change of mind. It is a change of the heart. It is not just sorrow. Some people think repenting is just crying about what you've done and loathing about what you've done. But repentance is more than just sorrow. The scripture says godly sorrow will bring about repentance. Or the King James Version uses the term worketh repentance. Or godly sorrow brings about in your life repentance. And so when one repents, it is more than just saying, God, I'm sorry. That is part of repentance. But a real heart of repentance says, I'm going to change the way I've been going. I'm now going to go another direction. The actual word repent is a military term that simply means an abrupt about face. When they would say repent, it simply means click your heels together and turn 180 and go the other direction. So the Apostle Peter says the first thing you've got to do when they said what must we do to be saved, he said repent. And what did he say next? Be baptized. So it's more than just saying, oh, well, I believe on the Lord. When they said, what must I do to be saved? The apostle Peter said, repent and be baptized. But he didn't just say be baptized, but he said be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Now there is power in that. We don't just baptize, we don't just take somebody and dunk them down in water, but just like Scripture, we're going to have a baptism tonight. And when we do this baptism tonight, listen closely. You're going to hear, I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins because that's the only way in the Scripture. Everybody say truth. Only way in Scripture I can find where anyone was ever baptized, they called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we baptize, in accordance to Scripture, we baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. In other words, it's for the stoppage of sin. It takes, you know what happens when something goes into remission? It means that it has stopped. It no longer has an effect. That means your sin, your past sin, your past life, everything you did before you repented, did the about face, made up your mind to go another direction, everything is stopped, meaning it will not be laid to your charge or your account. The blood of Jesus has washed it away, cleansed it, and made you a new creature in Christ Jesus. That's the awesome thing about baptism. So the blood of Jesus washes away sin. 
And so the apostle Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And then he says, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then he goes on in chapter 2, verse 39 of the book of Acts, and he says, for that promise, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So as long as God is still calling men and women to repentance, thank God he's still calling. I'm glad he called me. I'm glad he's still calling men to repent. As long as God is still calling people, then there is a promise of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That belongs to you. That's not something you do for yourself. It is a promise from above. And so every time in Scripture that we find people receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost just like they did on the day of Pentecost. There is an utterance. There is a speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. So in the book of Acts, there are several instances where believers spoke in tongues when the Holy Ghost first came upon them. Are you ready? The first place I'm going to look at tonight is on the day of Pentecost. I just shared that story with you, Acts chapter 2, verse number 4. The first place is on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2 and 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here's another reference of where people spoke with other tongues. Some say, well, it was only for them on the day of Pentecost. I beg to differ in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius and his house, verse 45 of Acts chapter 10. Acts 10, 45, are you ready? And they of the circumcision, speaking of the Jews, which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, let me explain to you what this scripture is talking about. There was a lot of nationality issues. The Jews thought the Holy Ghost is only for them. But Peter said on the day of Pentecost, to as many as the Lord our God shall call. He didn't say just to the Jew. He said to as many as the Lord our God shall call. That's why this message is for every nationality, for every nation, for every tongue, for every people. The Holy Ghost is for everyone. I've been blessed to be able to travel some. I have been to some foreign countries. And every foreign country I have been to and that I have been able to minister in, I have witnessed whether I was in Europe, in Greece, whether I was in Egypt, whether I was in Israel, whether I was in El Salvador, whether I was in Bolivia, no matter where that I was, people spoke with an, in another tongue that they have not learned. Now, I have never personally witnessed it, but I have talked to many people who have witnessed it when they are in other countries with people who do not know English 
begin to speak in other tongues and for them they may speak clear English and have no idea how to speak English and it is a sign to the unbeliever to understand that they are speaking the wonderful things of God. Let me get back to my text of Acts chapter 10, verse 46. Verse 45, the Gentiles also, the Holy Ghost was poured out. Verse 46, for they what? Heard them. Everybody say heard them. They heard them. They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water? that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. And he commanded them to be baptized. How did he command them to be baptized? In the what? Wait, you mean he didn't command them to be baptized in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost that came out of the Nicene Council in 325 A.D.? You mean that's not how that he commanded them to be baptized? No, he commanded them to be baptized in the only name whereby we must be saved. That is in the name of Jesus. Salvation's in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 11. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost, verse 15, Acts 11, verse 15, and as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them. How did the Holy Ghost fall on them? As on us at the beginning. How did the Holy Ghost fall on them at the beginning? Came as cloven tongues like as a fire, sat upon each of them, and they all received the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. That's what he is referring to in Acts chapter 11. The Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. So that Holy Ghost being poured out as in the beginning is significant to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. What was I? That I could withstand God. In other words, how could I say that this is not possible? All right? The next place in Scripture where the Holy Ghost was poured out and they spoke with tongues. Acts chapter 19. It was at Ephesus, Acts chapter 19, verse number 1, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. He said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Can I pause for a second? Am I okay? Let me just pause here for a second. Anyone who believes on the Lord has done a wonderful thing. But believing on the Lord is not the end all. 
believing on the Lord is a good start, a good beginning. But there is more. Somebody say, I want more. I want all. I want all truth. I want all that God has for me. Is that how you feel tonight? I want all. I want everything that the Lord has for me. So he asked them the question, have you received the Holy Ghost? Verse 2, Acts 19, verse 2. He said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. They had never heard a message preached about it. They had never read about it. They didn't have a clue. This was the first time that they ever understood it. How many of you remember the first time that you ever understood that the Holy Ghost was for you? Do you remember that place? I've seen hands being raised. When people remember. I remember teaching a Bible study in my apartment on Green Street uh, almost 30 years ago. My wife and I sat teaching a home Bible study to a young couple with a bunch of children. And they had come to visit and we had had dinner, and I was teaching a Bible study, and I'll never forget the moment when they looked across the table at me and said, I see it. I understand it. I must be baptized in Jesus' name and receive the Holy Ghost. Wow. It was the moment that the lights came on. Before that, they didn't understand. Just like these. We didn't know that there was a Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Under what then were you baptized? They said, Under John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance. He said, That's good. Saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, what did they do? Hmm. They had already been baptized before. John had baptized them. But when they heard that they should be baptized in the name of the Lord, when they heard this, they were baptized. Interesting. How were they baptized? In the name of the Lord Jesus. You mean they didn't just baptize them in the titles, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, like they did in 325 AD at the Nicene Council and start from there and misguide people all through the world, claiming that that is the method of baptism that is acceptable for the Christian church? It's not in the Bible, it does not exist. Nowhere in the scripture where you find where somebody was baptized in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Does truth matter? Of course truth matters. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hand upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and what happened? They spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now there are some instances where speaking in tongues is not mentioned clearly as in the text 
that I just read. But I want you to notice who was there to witness when the people received the Holy Ghost. It was always people who had received the Holy Spirit baptism and spoke with tongues. Let's look at this. The next place that they received the Holy Ghost at Samaria, Acts chapter 8, verse 14 through 17. Acts 8, verses 14 through 17. Now when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of the Lord, the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Notice the difference. They received the word of the Lord, but they had not received the Holy Ghost. There's a lot of good people that receives the word of the Lord, but have not yet received the Holy Ghost. Don't be discouraged by that. There is truth that is being taught tonight for all of us to understand. They had received the word of the Lord. Peter and John prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Verse 16, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, meaning none of them had ever received the Holy Ghost. Only they had been baptized. Let me ask again, how, how were these people baptized? Were they baptized differently than anyone else? They were also baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon them and they received the Holy Ghost. Here, the scripture does not say, and spoke with other tongues. But I believe it is a given. Because every time that Peter and John, who, by the way, were tongue talkers, they had already received the Holy Ghost and it spoke. So it is a given that when they laid their hands upon them and they received the Holy Ghost, how did they know that they received the Holy Ghost? Because a light shined down out of heaven? Because they jumped up and down? Because they got goosebumps? Because they felt joy in their heart? I am certain that they knew they received the Holy Ghost just like every other instance in scripture for they heard them speak with other tongues there is a physical reaction to the Holy Spirit there is always a physical reaction what we are seeing in each of these instances in the book of Acts is a human reaction to the Holy Ghost coming upon people in the Old Testament we see the Spirit coming upon Moses and elders, in Numbers chapter 11, verses 24 through 29. We see the Spirit coming up on Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse number 6. And on Saul's soldiers in 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 20 and 21. And the scripture said that they prophesied. That's Old Testament. Now someone may say, well why did they not speak with other tongues. The scripture said, for they prophesied. I want you to pay attention because this was prior to the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost was poured out. Yet there was a verbal utterance of prophecy 
that came forth when the Spirit of God moved upon them, there was an utterance, a prophetic utterance that came forth out of their mouth. It caused them to prophesy. It was prior to the Holy Spirit outpouring, which Jesus told the 120 to go to the upper room in Jerusalem until they be filled with power from on high. The Holy Ghost fell. That was the beginning of the Holy Ghost outpouring. All of those instances in the Old Testament where the, the Holy Spirit moved upon people, the Spirit of God moved upon people, and they prophesied was prior to the Holy Ghost outpouring. Yet, there is a type and shadow of what is happening. There was a verbal utterance of prophecy being the forerunner of what was going to come, a verbal utterance from heaven. So this is remarkably similar to what happened at the day of Pentecost. The Spirit is poured out powerfully and people had a spontaneous reaction to speak words out loud. So what does the Scripture mean? Here's, here's a good question for tonight. What does the Scripture mean when it says, as the Spirit gives the utterance? Is there no human involvement in as the Spirit gives utterance? So of course, it is your mouth, it is your vocal cords, it is your voice. But the Spirit is given the utterance. Acts chapter 2 verse 4 and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. So it is the Spirit that provides access to the thoughts and the mind and allows us to communicate our deepest thoughts and feelings to God Himself. These thoughts cannot be expressed in a language of this world. Thus we speak in a heavenly language that God understands but may not be understandable in the human realm. Let me break it down and make it real simple and I know no better or, or simpler way of saying this. When somebody is worshiping God, if anybody here is praying and asking God, to fill them with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Don't spend your time begging for a promise that belongs to you. I don't have my wallet tonight. If I had my wallet, I know I have a $100 bill in there, and I'm sure I would just offer it to you tonight. I have given away a few 20s to make my illustration very clear. I don't have my wallet, so I can't give you a 20 tonight. But if I had, if I had a 20 and I wanted to give it away tonight, I could just simply say, this belongs to you. And I could lay it right here, and I could say, this is yours. It's yours. Right here it is. It's yours. I'm giving it to you. And then I could go on about my business and continue teaching and remind you every now and then, remember, this $20 belongs to you. It's to whosoever will. And people sit and smile and laugh about it and say, wow, wow, that's cool. That belongs to me. Look, that's mine. And they just keep sitting and they keep doing nothing about it. Until somewhere through the course of the lesson, 
it dawns on somebody, if I don't walk up there and get that $20 bill, Chad's going to beat me to it. And so somebody jumps up and runs up to the front and grabs the $20 bill, making the illustration very clear. The Holy Ghost is yours. It is your promise. It comes by faith. But God's not going to come to where you are and say, here, you've got to take this. And you're going, no, 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 no. I don't want it. No, no. And God says, no, no, no. This is your promise and you have to take it. It doesn't happen like that. It is a promise that comes by faith. And so therefore, we have to say, God, you, you, you gave me a promise. I repented of my sins. I've, changed my, I've made up my mind. I've changed directions in my life. I have been baptized into your name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've gone down in water. Now, your word says that I have a promise that belongs to me. That promise is not, you don't have to seek and beg and Figure out ways to say, God, if you'll give me the Holy Ghost, then I'll do this for you. No bargaining about the Holy Ghost. It is a promise. It is a gift. Just like if I had a 20 and laid here and said it is yours, what you have to do is receive it by faith. And when you receive it by faith, there will be an utterance. How do, how do we know that you received it by faith? Because there will be an utterance. That is not yours. It's not made up. It's not something that you decided. It's not something that you learned in a back room somewhere. It's not something that somebody taught you. But it is when your soul, your heart begins to communicate with God in a level that is not of this world. But it is a heavenly language. It is a heavenly communication. I know no easier way, no better way to tell you. I tell people, when people say, I, I'd like to have the Holy Ghost, I've asked God for the Holy Ghost, I've never received it. I tell them, stop worrying about it. Here's what I want you to do. Begin to worship God, begin to praise God, begin to tell God how wonderful He is, begin to express your feelings toward God, let Him know everything about you, pour out your soul to Him, and when you are telling Him you're wonderful, you're marvelous, you're matchless, you're great, you're good, and your language runs out, and you no longer have words to be able to speak in English to say what your heart is wanting to say, and you feel something begin to come over you, let let it flow out. Let it flow out. And at that point, you will eventually begin to speak in a language that is not anything that you have learned. It is your heart communicating with God. You are communicating with God. It doesn't matter who's around you. It doesn't matter what people think. It is you communicating with God as the Spirit gives utterance. So, Pastor, if I receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and speak with other tongues, is that the ultimate? Is that all? That is the initial sign that you've received the Holy Ghost. I'm closing, but I, I want to leave you. I, I want to leave you with this. The musicians can prepare. That is the initial sign or initial evidence of the Holy Ghost. But then there is a continual evidence of the Holy Ghost, and that is the fruit of the Spirit. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25, because once you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will begin to be manifest in your life. And Galatians 5, 22 said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Some folks need the Holy Ghost. Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, 
temperance. I know some folks that need the Holy Ghost. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Here's what the Holy Ghost does for you. It doesn't fix every problem in life. The Holy Ghost is our down payment. It is the earnest. The Scripture calls it the earnest of our inheritance. Our inheritance is heaven. The Holy Ghost is the earnest. It is the down payment. It is the promise. It is, it is the guarantee that he's going to return and take you unto himself. But the Holy Ghost also will give you the power to live in a sinful world, yet be able to walk separate from the world. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. John chapter 17, verse 14, Jesus is speaking here. And he said, I've given them my word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Here is the real here is the real purpose, the real plan. Not for God to isolate you from the world. That's not what the Holy Ghost does. It doesn't isolate you from the world. What the Holy Ghost does is it insulates you from the world. It allows you to live in the environment of the world, but not be affected by the environment of the world the way you have been affected by the environment of the world prior to receiving the Holy Ghost. It will empower you. It will equip you. We have the power to live in a sinful world, yet not be isolated, but be insulated so that it does not have the effect on me. My hope is in Jesus Christ. The rest of the world is going and doing what they want to do, and they're losing faith and losing their minds. But that's not for the saved church. The saved church that's been born again of the water and of the Spirit and have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There's more to it than just speaking with tongues. That is an initial sign. But the Holy Ghost is much more. The Bible said it is our comfort. It is our comforter. It is, it is our guide. It is our director. And I could go on and on and on tonight about all of the things that the Holy Ghost does for you. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If you've never spoken with tongues, don't fear it, don't worry. Nobody's going to make fun of you, mock you. Don't feel pressure. If you've never repented of your sins, first and foremost, you ought to repent of your sins. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, secondly, you ought to go down in water baptism tonight. We already have one being baptized. We have more robes. We'd be glad to baptize a whole line tonight. And if you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, evidence for speaking with other tongues, it is your promise, and you can receive it, and it's for you. I'm glad I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm glad I have him living in me. Stand with me all over this building right now. We're going to make a little shift as those are preparing for baptism right now. If there's others in the room that would like to join us, feel free to let us know. and We'll be glad for you to follow suit and get baptized with them tonight. But right now, 
while they're preparing. I'm just going to open these altars for anyone that would like to walk to the front of this room and pray. For anyone that would like to say, I'm coming tonight. Maybe some wants to make that about face. They want to repent. They want to change their mind and life. Maybe others are just coming tonight just to say, I have a determination more than ever to keep serving God and keep living for Him. These altars are open for everyone tonight. Would you like to come forward? You can stand. You can kneel. You can sit where you are, whatever you choose. But we're just going to turn this whole house into a prayer room for just a few moments. If you'd like to join us in the front of the room, our ministers are going to prepare. We're going to have a baptism here in a moment. We're just going to focus on the Lord for a moment. If you've never repented, here's a good time. If you've never been baptized, here's your opportunity. Oh!